Let's give the praise and worship team a hand tonight for their work. Amen. Sick them out. Appreciate. I like the traditional old Christmas carol type hymns. and also like the contemporary ones. We like to mix it up a little bit this time of the year. Normally we're pretty contemporary, but this, I, I love this time of the year. Christmas is still my most favorite time of all. I love family. I love get, getting together and exchanging gifts and uh, just the time of special worship before the Lord. And I like candlelight communion service. I think it's a great time. I think it's a time where we kind of retell the story of Jesus. We remind ourselves. You know, Paul said in one place that, let me tell you again, lest at any time, uh, let me stir up your pure minds lest any time you uh, cause it to slip. And, and talks about other places where we, we are to remind ourselves of what the Word of God says. And so I really like to go to communion on that note because Paul said that when we talk about communion, it's a memorial, it's a retelling of the story, it's a revisiting something that is a fact, something that is a, really an anchor and a rock in the history of our Christian faith that really holds us uh, on course, and it's really a powerful thing. So let's bow our heads and we'll pray, and we won't take long, but I just like sharing a little bit uh, concerning what we're doing Uh, in the act of communion. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we ask that you would just speak to our hearts tonight through your word. Father, just through uh, all that you are doing in our lives, and Father, just through the Holy Spirit, and Father, through communion, and Father, we ask that you give clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit. Father, just to convey and communicate your truths. Father, ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will uh, to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And so we thank you for that. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Sunday we talked a little bit about the uh, incarnation, and we went to John 1, and you know we know that the Bible says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then it goes on in verse 18, says, and no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And we talked about three declarations of the incarnation, the Word becoming flesh. And we talked about how you know Jesus came into this world uh, that he was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. In First Matthew, it says he came into the world uh, to forgive his people of their sins. John 10.10 10 says that I am come. You could say, you know, come or come into the world. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And that's being freed from oppression and, and having healing, being free from maybe poverty or, or whatever depression or oppression that a person might experience. He wants us to have life and have it more abundantly. How many of you believe that tonight? I believe that. The goodness of God compels me to believe that God is for me, not against me. And so we talked about that. And when, when we talk about, really, communion is really the pass of the New Testament uh, Passover. You know, when Jesus, at the Last Supper, when they met, that, that was Passover. When they ate the, the bread and they drank the wine and they celebrated that, and he told them that that was his blood, uh, symbolically, and that was his body uh, symbolically, uh, and that they needed to partake of that. That was the first act of communion, which was really the ancient practice of Passover. And so I think it's very interesting that we need to understand Passover, because if we don't understand Passover, we really can't possibly understand communion. And so Jesus, it says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says that he is our Passover lamb. He truly is that one. And First uh, Peter 1.19, he says, He is the Passover lamb that is without spot and without a blemish. Well, that's a direct 
alluding to the requirements for the Passover lamb that are articulated in Exodus, the 12th chapter, which is the whole uh, narrative of the Passover. So let's go back, and you you don't need to turn there because I know it's dark out there. You probably couldn't see it anyway. So we're going to look at Exodus 12 very quickly, and we're going to just revisit Passover because if Jesus is our Passover lamb in communion, then we need to know what Passover is and what it did for us and to understand that. And, and when I look at that, I see that he is that lamb. And I want to just read a couple of historical things, and then we're going to go to Exodus 12, and we're going to talk about that quickly. The Bible tells us that uh, there are certain things in the book of Luke that are told us that would be a sign to the shepherds when Jesus would show up. And one of those signs, I'll just read it, says, And she brought forth the firstborn son. This is Luke 2, 7. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. Now, that is something that we can easily overlook. But we talk about that, and it's important that we understand this is not just a happening, but this is a prophetic sign. Because there was no room at the end for them. And then in Luke 2, 12 speaking to uh, the shepherds, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swollen clothes, lying in a manger. See, the ancient Jewish prophet Micah foretold the birthplace for the coming Messiah 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Micah said that the Son of God would be born in this little insignificant village near Jerusalem, It's not in Jerusalem, but it's near, it's about a mile away, called Bethlehem. History records that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was indeed born in Bethlehem. Not in Nazareth, where he was raised, and not in Capernaum, where he conducted his ministry. Not in Jerusalem, where he was crucified. You see, the actual birthplace of Jesus Christ is in a little town called Bethlehem and has a prophetic significance both in the past and in the future. The past significance of Migdal Adar, that's the, name, that's the actual Hebrew name. Migdal Adar was the tower of the flock mentioned in Micah 4.8. Which is the watchtower where the priestly shepherds would watch over the flocks in the shepherd's field there in Bethlehem. So Bethlehem was a unique place. Bethlehem was outside Jerusalem. Bethlehem was uh, a place where there was... Some people call it a tower. Some people say it might have been like a, a small uh, rock formation that made it look like a small mountain or, or just a formation of rock and, and maybe a cave in there and, and a tower. Whether it was a man-made tower or not is probably not real relevant. But what is relevant is where the shepherds raised the Passover lambs that were to be slaughtered. If I remember right, the males were slaughtered uh, for, um, the females were slaughtered for peace offerings. The other ones were for sin offerings. The males were for sin offerings. Well, it tells you something about gender, doesn't it? But anyway, and uh, they would go and they would oversee these flocks. They would raise these flocks. And these lambs were a special herd, a special flock, I should say, because they would choose the one without blemish and the most perfect one, and they would then use those, and the priests would take them, and they would be the ones 
that would be sacrificed. And that happens to be in Bethlehem, where Jesus was put into a manger. Now, let me, let me go on. And it was in the tower, lower portion, excuse me, of the watchtower that the birthing of the lambs would take place. Now, that's one article talks about that. I could read the whole article, but we don't have time tonight. Another article talks about this same subject. It's worthy to note that it says this, there are many understandings today about the events surrounding the first Christmas. For one being, Jesus was not born in an outbuilding behind a motel in Bethlehem. As many Christian cards seem to suggest, the truth is this, Jesus was born in a cave used for birthing of sacrificial lambs. The male lambs born in that cave and the others like it in Bethlehem area were to be used exclusively in the temple. They were set aside to the tamel, or the morning sacrifice, which began each day. They were also used for the burnt offerings. The female lambs were used in the temple for peace offerings. Okay, it's burnt offerings and peace offerings. However, the most uncommon usage for these lambs that were born in Bethlehem was this. They were destined to become Passover lambs. Therefore, the shepherds that attended them were actually shepherd priests. I did not know that. So the shepherds that came and the Lord spoke to them, they weren't just shepherds. They were priests that worked at the she- as shepherds at the flock that were exclusively being used for sacrificial lambs. I find that quite interesting. And then it goes on, it says, and the shepherds that attended them were actually shepherd priests. These men had been designated from the same time they were young to be the ones who would be assigned to the task of keeping watch over the temple flocks. One of their tasks was to make certain that none of these lambs were blemished while being birthed. And so it, it talks about that basically the place where Jesus was born was a cave. It was maybe at the base of a tower, and the cave might have been a rock formation, but Nonetheless, the shepherds there were priests. They watched over the lambs from that tower. The lambs that they watched over were going to be used as sacrificial lambs and even Passover lambs. And Jesus, we are told, was born in that place where they took the sac- where the sacrificial lambs were birthed. In other words, Jesus was a sacrificial lamb. So when it says in first, how many of you know many things in the New Testament? are very, fi- very, how can I say, finely tuned, nuanced, that when it says Jesus is our Passover lamb, he literally was raised up in a cave, which we call a main, which there was a manger, where the Passover lambs were born and raised up to be slaughtered. So Jesus came into this world as a Passover lamb, very literally in the sense of where he was born. So when we go to Exodus 12 and we begin to read these qualifications, and it says, and the Lord spake unto Moses, we're in Exodus 12 now. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto the congregation of Israel, saying, in the tenth day this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little... For the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto him in his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to the eating shall make your count for the lamb. In other words, uh, however many it will feed. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you shall take it out from the sheep, out from the goats. And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, 
and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood, strike it upon the doorposts of the upper doorposts of the house, wherein they shall eat it. And then shall they eat the flesh in the night, roast with the fire, unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. That's, that's where we get communion. That's where we get Passover. That's what Jesus was celebrating in that upper room with the disciples that first time that he told them to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood symbolically. And he says, eat not uh, of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with the legs and with the uh, pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for it will pass through the land, the, it, excuse me, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land, Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. When I shall see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. See, Paul said that communion is a memorial. Now listen to this. And ye shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it as a feast and an ordinance forever. Did you know in heaven, when we're in the eternal state, and there's a new heaven and a new earth, that we will still acknowledge communion, and we'll still acknowledge what Jesus has done? How many of you know that is the center point? That is the epicenter of all eternity is when Jesus rose from the dead. Can I get an amen? So when we understand how central and how important it is, it makes a lot of difference. Now, there's three things that communion can do. Just like when we talked about three things that the incarnation declared. And one of them, the first one, of course, is Jesus is that sin remover. But you know what? The lamb removed the sin. In Exodus 12, 1 through 14, there was a blood sacrifice. And the Passover lamb was used for sin. So judgment, the death angel, would pass over them. Matthew 1, 21, Jesus said, I came into the world to save his people from their sin. So Jesus is just like that lamb. That little lamb was used to save God's people from their sin as an act of sacrifice of looking to a lamb that would come one day. Jesus came to take away our sins. Number two, not only is he the sin remover, but he is the devil defeater. You can look over there in Exodus 14, 27, and 28. We see that all the men of Egypt, and Pharaoh is a type of devil, His minions and his army was a type of demons. And at the great exodus, this is a type and picture of salvation, they came out of Egypt. And when they came out of Egypt and they went across that Red Sea, it's like it says in Colossians 2.15, he spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And that's talking about Jesus and all the demons. Now we're talking about what the Passover lamb did, And then Moses led them out, and it's as if Satan was being destroyed. The power of Pharaoh was his army. And when you took his power away, he had no more authority over God's people. Spoiled principalities and powers. Made a show of them openly and triumphed over them in it, the Bible says. So not only is Jesus the sin remover, but he's the devil defeater, and he sets us free. 
Psalms 107, 35. I'm going to read. This is a great verse of scripture too. It says, he brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them fell upon them. Literally, the most powerful man in the world, just like Satan is the god of this world. Pharaoh, who is a typology of Satan, was defeated in front of everybody, and all of his power, which was his army, was utterly defeated. And all of his gold that his people had as the wealthiest Nathan on earth, they gave it over to them, and they came out with silver and gold because it says that all the Egyptians gave it to them. And it says this, And Egypt was glad when they departed for the fear of them that fell upon them. After all those plagues and their firstborn had died, they literally gave them all they had just to get them out of there. The devil and Pharaoh have this very same parallel that all oppression lifted and the demonic forces of Egypt, which is a type of the world, were beaten. And then last... He was a oppression healer, Psalms 105. I'll just read it again. It says this. It's very powerful. He smote all the firstborn in their land, the chief of all their strength. He brought them forth also with silver and gold. And there was not one feeble person among their tribes. There was hundreds of thousands of people came out of Egypt. All the scholars agree. Some scholars think even more than that. And there's not one sick person after 400 years of slavery and poverty as slaves for 400 years, all those generations, there's not one feeble or sick person coming out. They, they're coming out with all their silver and gold. He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. And Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them fell upon them. Wow. You see, all that stuff that happened, the Passover lamb is the one who made it able to happen. The Passover lamb was the one that took the sins away. The Passover lamb is the one that gave them the power to go out and God to be with them now because their sin was gone. The Passover lamb is what made it so Pharaoh was defeated because they could walk with God. The Passover lamb is the one, I believe, that gave them health when they came out. They gave them all the prosperity, the gold and silver that came out of Egypt and was given to them. Jesus says this, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. More abundant life does include prosperity. It does include healing. It does include victory. It does include freedom from sin. That's a prosperous life. You see, when you understand this Passover lamb, then all of a sudden communion becomes very interesting. Can I get an amen? amen. But if you don't understand the Passover lamb, communion is just some religious ritual. I was raised in a church where we had communion every Sunday, and, and all I knew is that that funny little wafer stuck to the roof of my mouth. And I'm glad they had some grape juice to wash it down. I didn't know what they were talking about up there. But I'm so glad now I understand the Passover. Because the Passover lamb is the key to understanding communion. Amen. It's the key to understand what Jesus is talking about. Amen. And it's the key to understand that that Passover lamb was a sin forgiver. That little lamb, his blood was shed as a sacrifice for sin. That little lamb... Released the power of God, so they put the blood on the doorposts, and the death angel went over. And if the death angel went over, Egypt couldn't kill them, no matter what they could try to do. Can I get an amen? Because the death angel's not touching those people. And the devil was defeated. The old Pharaoh was defeated in front of everybody, made humiliated. And then lastly, they came out, and that little lamb took away their sins so God could bless them. They could be in covenant with God, and they could be healthy. They could be wealthy. They could be blessed coming in and blessed going out because of the Passover lamb. 
Well, we ought to take that to heart today. And I'm going to read to you out of the New Testament what Paul says, and then we're going to go ahead and we're going to begin taking communion. One family at a time, or two families at a time can come up. But Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. A little lamb's body was broken. This do in remembrance of me, you know, that's our healing, his body being broken. Surely he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. Jesus talks about healing being part, about his body being broken. And at the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Well, Hebrews 10 says there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. We all know that the blood that was shed by the Old Testament sacrifice or the New Testament, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, Jesus, it was always to forgive sin. And we know that when sin is forgiven and healing comes, that that's a sign that the devil has been defeated. Can I get an amen? So this is where he says, then in verse 26, it says, for as often as you do eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Well, what's the Lord's death? Well, the Lord's death is his death, burial, and resurrection, his victory over the devil, his healing power released to us, and his forgiveness of sins, most of all. So tonight as you take your communion as a family, just come on up. And just be thankful that he has defeated the devil. Be thankful that he's forgiven your sins. And thank you that he has life more abundant for you, that you can be healed of sickness, you can be healed of depression, you can be healed of your poverty, you can be healed of rejection. Whatever it is that you struggle with, there is healing in recognizing the lamb and the work that he's provided for us through salvation. Somebody say amen. Amen.